This is a download from BFM 89.9, the business station. Hi, I'm Hanif Baharuddin and you're listening to Night School, the show that explores ideas and themes in the social sciences and the humanities. I'm joined by Simon Soon and our guest of the week, Muafa Al-Hajar. Welcome to the show. Hello, hey, thank you. Okay, oh, thanks yeah. for coming on the show. Oh, thank you for inviting <laughs> yeah. me. All right, yeah. So before we start, maybe you can just introduce yourself. I understand that you're a poet, right? Oh, yeah, that's true. I am, although it's quite hard to say I am a poet, mm-hmm. um, I'm Wafal Hajar, as you said. I'm from Syria, and I'm 27 years old. I am also an engineer. Okay. But, yeah, I'm into art and science at the same time. Mm-hmm. So I do work as an engineer, but I still do poetry and art in general on, on the other time of the day. Yeah, but when it comes to, you know, being legitimized by... Uh, not just the literary scene, but actually the publishing sort of like industry, you do have a book out. Yeah. And that sort of qualifies you as a legitimate <laughs> poet, am I right? <laughs> well, I think, yeah, I think that's true. But yeah, the doubts are always there. Right. You, you have to doubt your work okay. and yourself as a poet. I don't know if it's a poet thing, but mm-hmm. it happens. But maybe as a sort of like general introduction, could you sort of tell us more a bit about this book that you've just, uh, that's just sort of like come out? Yeah, sure. So... Poetic Entropy is a collection of, of poems written originally in Arabic mm-hmm. and then translated by Ziad Al-Taghlibi, who is a friend of mine and a professional translator into English. Okay. So the book is bilingual and it was published by Grab Budaya here in Malaysia uh, last November. Okay, wow. What's N- the reception of the book so far? I'm not sure, but I think it's... I think it's well received by people till now. Mm-hmm. I've heard some good comments and I feel like the book needs more time to mm-hmm. to, to you know to be uh, read. Okay. So yeah, I'm looking forward to next year because then you know we have it yeah, yeah. 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 Right, right. Um so also why poetic entropy because uh, some people ask me mm. uh, that what is entropy in the first place right. and and as a chemical engineer I always loved science and chemistry and I was I have always been fond of of chemistry and the right. relationship between you know science and poetry mm-hmm. so I tried my best to maybe bridge science and literature in this book I'm very curious what how <laughs> you came up with the term entropy right because it's very specific sort of like scientific process. Yeah, right, right? I mean yeah. I mean it's it's natural in, process, it, I mean sorry. It yeah. is. It's yeah. the the nature of of our universe. Yeah. Our universe is entropy. Entropy is how the universe or how the energy tends always mm. to be spread out. It came out on on a train station when I was looking at people coming in and out from the train and how chaotic the whole situation was. Right, yeah. So I thought that this is poetry and this is how how my poetry was written and the process of the poetry itself. So mm. I feel like it's it's more of a chaos and that's the entropy of right. the language. Right, right. But, you know, in our history at least, how entropy was always sort of taught to us back then is that, uh, you know, through a Robert Smithson text mm. where he asked us to sort of like imagine, imagine you have a sandbox, mm. right? On one side, you have white sand, on the other side, black sand. You walk around the sandbox three times mm. clockwise and then sort of like do an anti-clockwise another three times and then do another sort of like, you know, mm. clockwise around three times. Mm. What you get is you have grey. Mm. That's entropy, mm. right? It's a process nice. of sort of like slow, uh, 
almost like a decline or yeah. into kind of like yeah. indistinguishable sort of like well, well, meaninglessness. Well, that's so poetic because there's no there's no black and white in poetry. Right. It's all grey, I think. It's, yeah. it's, it's more colourful than grey. But mm-hmm. I mean, in this situation, it's all grey because poetry doesn't give answers, but it provides you with questions. And mm-hmm. it's all about the beautiful questions of the poem and how many questions could a poem give to a reader. Mm. So I think the reason why I, I, I said it's poetic entropy is that I found that the language is, has always been imprisoned, maybe, mm-hmm. in our daily conversations. Mm. The way we speak to each other, the way we you know interact with each other is typical. It's always the same. It's the daily it's conversation. codified. Yes. So... This etiquette of speaking is not there in, in poetry. Right. Poetry doesn't follow any form. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's uh, actually chaotic. Right. When did you discover this? When did you discover this possibility in language? Mm. I think when I started thinking in two languages, okay. not, not in one Interesting. language. So I've learned English and French when I was a child at school, but I've never written in English or French uh, until very recently I started writing in English. Mm. So before that, before writing in English, I always wrote in Arabic means I always thought in Arabic. Mm. So the process of thinking was always maybe one language driven way of thinking. Mm-hmm. But then when I started thinking of in English, writing in English, I found myself, you know, trying to think of the the poetry without the cover of language, Mm. trying to think of poetry as it is. Poetry itself is a language, so you don't really need the language. The language is maybe the vase Mm -hmm. that you put the poetry in, but poetry itself is a language. So when you think of poetry, you know, as a whole itself, as something itself, only then I I started maybe thinking of, of this right. kind of entropy uh, right. situation. So in, in some ways, uh, you're describing as if the poetic language itself is almost like a universal container. Mm. But mm. on the other hand, when we try to sort of like, I guess, bring it into a sort of like system of communication, mm. we require language. Mm. And, and in each of the language, I guess, there are a range of vocabulary that's going to allow you to to play with its various sort of like configuration in order for you to sort of like bring the message across, right? True. And English language will have its sort of like limited range of register and Arabic language will have its own sort of like limited range of register. How do you then sort of like, I guess, allow for translation to sort of like happen or are there certain things that are not translatable and require you to sort of like deftly play around with mm. the strengths and weaknesses mm. of these two languages? Well, I I think there are definitely certain things that are not translatable, yet the language of poetry is the only measure. Mm. So for me, I I started thinking this way since I came here, that a good poem is a poem that will always sound good in any language. If it is lost during translation, then it wasn't a good poem Mm. in poetry-wise. Language-wise, maybe it was the best. It was crafted in a very, you know, in an amazing way. But when we talk about the essence of the poem, Mm. if it is still there, even after translating, 
So I think that's the measure of a good poem yeah. in my point of view now. Uh, yet, how, how do I deal with the limitation of, of the vocabulary? Because, of course, I mean, writing in Arabic for me is something so much different than writing in English because the vocabulary that I have in Arabic are just spontaneous. I don't think of the word. Mm. I just got it in mind. Right. But yet in English, I sometimes need to use the dictionary. I sometimes mm. need to find a synonym or, you know, to mm. find the, the, the most accurate word mm. for, for what I'm writing. But I always try to play around the usage of the vocabulary. Mm -hmm. Great poets used normal vocabulary. Mm -hmm. So it's not about complicating your vocabulary in poetry, but it's about using the right word at the right time, right. I think. So it's not about, in some ways, using big words or, not or really, sounding not really. impressive. Yeah. And it's also sort of like not about finding the word-for-word -word equivalent True that. Uh, uh, in the process of sort of like translation, but being a bit more mischievous in the way you play with the language or engage with the language mm -hmm. on some level, right? Mm. In, in, and also on, the, uh, on another side of the translation, you have to understand the context of the, of the poem because sometimes translating it literally would ruin the poem mm -hmm. and you need to take in consideration the cultural effect or, or like the cultural heritage of the poem. Mm -hmm. Because some poetry like really take, take uh, care of, of the cultural heritage. So, mm -hmm. so you mean like there's a convention to how yeah, poetry is written with metrical sort of like rhyming kind of scheme and stuff like that? This is a thing. And another thing is when you use, for example, when you use a certain, let's say, figure or like a, a certain, you know, line of poetry mm -hmm. in your poetry, like a line of poetry of, a, of an ancient poet, from your culture and you right, use right, it right. in your poetry, it gives a value in somehow. But when it's translated, you don't know the poet that I mentioned, you right. don't know the reference. Right, right, right. So that reference doesn't mean anything to you. And the weight of it doesn't yes. carry forward. So right. you need to change, you need to play around this cultural reference. Mm -hmm. Cool. Do you think about the syntax and the semantics of things when it comes to, I guess, dealing with, you know, writing poetry in two different languages? How do you negotiate between the two? Yeah, I think I'm still um, not really there uh, in terms of, of writing uh, English in the level that I write uh, Arabic poetry with, mm -hmm. uh, but I'm trying all the time to learn. But when I bring or when I translate English poetry into Arabic poetry, I take in consideration so much of, of the syntax, so much of the uh, regulations of the Arabic poetry. Mm. And this is an, and maybe it might be a new school of translating because I've read translation in Arabic of like English poets and uh, it has always been like prose. Mm. Uh, they don't translate it like Arabic poetry, they translate it as prose. Right, okay. So I wanted to change this and I wanted to translate the English poetry into Arabic poetry mm -hmm. according to the, uh, you know, according the to standards. the musical right. regulations and formulas of, of the Arabic poetry. And it worked. Mm -hmm. uh, but I had to play around. I had to mm -hmm. play around the, the meaning, right, right. Uh, around the vocabulary, th uh, sorry, not the meaning, around the vocabulary. I had to change the vocabulary, mm -hmm. but yet trying to to keep the meaning in, in general. Mm. Right. So I guess the most important thing when it comes to translating is the spirit, right? You want to at least uh, be able to convey the spirit of the poem in, in its original language to the translated version, right? That's true, that's mm. true. Although, you know, when you read a translated poem, you feel that there is an... Uh, there's 
an added spirit to the poem, and you can feel both the poet and the translator are on the same page right. somehow. Like you feel that there are two people, or, or if if not, then maybe the translator would be a, a normal translator would right. would just translate the poem, mm. and you get something, but it's not really so you know full. complete. Right. But when you feel that there is the translator, it he uh-huh. is or she is there, and then the writer is still there. Right. I think this is the beauty of translation. Right. And this sort of like added value, is it only serving the purpose of retaining the musicality of the language that the poetry is being sort of like translated into? Or are you also in the process of translation really pushing the language or say the, the, lang- the, mm. the, the other language into a very different sort of like direction I, as well? I, th- I think there is, and this is a very interesting point, I think there is a, a way of pushing the language into, into a new uh, dimension. Direction, yeah. uh, like for myself, when I translate into uh, Arabic from English to Arabic, I feel that I'm pushing Arabic mm. language into a new places and uh, new spaces of, of you know way of thinking mm-hmm. or like new vocabulary used in poetry because we don't really use this vocabulary in poetry but then it's used because of this poem mm. so I think it opens new doors and mm. new spaces and the same time for example with my book and my friend was was doing a, a very lovely job mm-hmm. translating the poems from Arabic to English because also, when you read the poem in English, you feel like it's not really in English. It still has has something from the Arabic context. Mm, okay. So yeah, cool. and both of you are based in Malaysia. I uh, know uh, my my friend is, is uh, based in Sweden. 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 Okay. Sweden. Right. So it's also a transnational kind of like collaboration True. in many ways. True. Yeah. The marvels of sort of like modern technology <laughs> that facilitates these exactly. kinds of like collaboration. Exactly. Yeah. We, we really worked closely, although of. Time difference and, right. you know, all the kilometers uh, between us. Well, the main thing is that he gets you, or at least you get him. True. Uh, on on and, both and levels. W- I mean, one good thing in, in my relationship with this uh, translator is that he's my best friend. Okay. So we've known each other since childhood. And that really helped because we have just been separated for the last five years, maybe. Mm. And when he went to Sweden, I came here. So... Before that, we've lived together. So he knew me very well and Mm -hmm. I knew him very well. So we had very comfortable conversations saying, no, I don't need this. Uh, I feel like this is um, a bit off. And then he would also suggest that, no, we need this line. We need to change this. So I think the relationship was very important. Okay. All right. Okay. So let's take a break first. Uh, You're listening to The Night School with Mihanif Baharudin and Simon Soon. And this week we're joined by Mofa Al-Hajar. And we've been talking about translating poems. Stay tuned. BFM 89.9. BFM 89.9, you're tuned in to Night School with me, Hanif Baharuddin. I'm joined by Simon Soon and our guest of the week, Mofa Al-Hajjah. Mm-hmm. Uh, Mofa is a poet. He has just written a, a book called Be. Poetic Entropy, right? Yeah. yeah. Maybe you can tell us a bit more about your work there. So, Poetic Entropy is a collection of poetry, as I said before, written in Arabic originally mm-hmm. and translated into English. Um, this collection, in this collection, I tried actually to talk about a few concepts, maybe uh, one of them or the main uh, theme of, of the book would be homeland or mm-hmm. the identity or how, how to, you know, how to link between the identity and homeland mm-hmm. and the difference between uh, homeland and country right. in, in, in somehow. Mm-hmm. And Were then, these poems written during the time, that it, uh, your, your time in Malaysia? Yeah. Uh, right. yeah. Okay, so it's... Uh, they were all written here in Malaysia okay. uh, in the last 
two years actually. Mm-hmm. So um, I think this is where I I re-explored my language mm-hmm. and my identity, and you know, even I I had to define new like concepts in in a, in a very different way. Very I had to define context, right? yeah. define home. I had to define uh, identity. I had to mm-hmm. define you know culture. I had mm-hmm. to define all this. I had to re-explore it. Coming to know or coming to, to you know facing all this. Uh, around me in Malaysia, being mm. here in Malaysia, uh, in exile, a stranger mm. uh, on the streets, I had to think of that, and mm. I had to rethink of my language after using a new language. Right. What you... did I lose? What did I gain from this? So right. I think this is one of the themes. On another note, I have also talked about my relationship with love, maybe, right. and childhood. Mm. Childhood is always there when I write. Mm. So I know you struggle with this constant desire of maybe the public to box you into a kind of like poet mm. or, or label you as a particular sort of like type of poet. But you mentioned the word exile yeah. uh, just now, just to give our sort of like listeners a bit of a context. Uh, how does that shape uh, yeah. your poetry? So, so why exile? Because of course I'm 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 uh, I'm not here as a tourist, uh, but I'm here because of 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 many circumstances happening in my country. Mm-hmm. So I have been forced. To and you're leave, from Syria, and I'm yeah. from Syria, and yeah. I've been lo- forced to to leave the country, and I came here. And I think the the labels that we can always put on people is a way of of you know making it easier for us in in, in order to deal with with each other. So, uh, but at the same time, it's it's a limitation. Yeah, it really um, you know limits the the conversation between us because mm-hmm. if I say I'm a refugee, and then uh, you're a Malaysian, that's a yeah. limitation in the sure. conversation. Uh, yeah. We took it into a very very narrow mm-hmm. uh, side. So I think there's always a problem with labeling. Yeah. And uh, you know what you what you mentioned just now actually reminds me of what a friend of mine who works with the Bajau people mm-hmm. uh, in Sabah always say. They are officially always labeled as stateless. Yeah. Right. Because yeah. they don't hold an identity card. I know. Uh, but she refused to sort of like follow that kind of like descriptor and use it, and she would in many ways, put her foot down and insist that you call them the Bajau people, or yeah. the Bajau sort of like community. And using words like stateless or refugee very often just reinforce a kind of like state mechanism that's meant to be exclusionary. That's true. That's right. true. That's true. Mm. And not many people understand this or see the point of this, actually. <laughs> uh, some people with like good intention would, would use it like normally. Yeah. Like, well, yeah. Why, what's wrong with this? Mm. How, so do you, I, how do you sort of like get I, them to see uh, a more complex side of you. I deal with it normally because I know that I understand that people are frustrated and people are sometimes, you know, sometimes you just don't know what's happening. So mm-hmm. you don't know how heavy this word would be or, or, you know, you just feel that it's normal to say such things. Mm-hmm. But usually it will be like when I say I'm a refugee, we, people would say, are you? Oh, we, we, uh, we cannot believe. No, what's wrong with me? <laughs> yeah. See, this is your... your because your, you don't fit your, into or conform yeah, to the Yeah, assumptions in your mind and okay. how you see it and how you cannot link it with a with a with a poet or with an <laughs> educated person or a person who speaks english or right. so sometimes it's like this right uh-huh. so i have just to deal with it and i and i don't really speak much of uh, uh, about this but i feel that the identity issue is something that i had to think of and i had mm-hmm. to maybe re 
define and explore okay. here yeah. and I find my my identity am I am I mm-hmm. am I a Syrian in the first place or right. am I human or am I a human being just a human being who who comes from this experience and what is your relationship with this country exactly right? yeah. exactly so yeah. for example now I belong to some experiences for example me and you now belong to the same experience mm-hmm. that might not be there between me and my brother who is still right, in Syria. Yeah. Because, for example, if I come to you today and say, oh, you know, the grab car was da-da-da-da, yeah. or the rain today was da-da-da, this experience is something share, that we yeah. share and we belong to today. Right. But I don't I don't share with my family now in, in Syria. And I love this saying that don't ask me where am I from, ask me, what experiences are, am I from? Because mm-hmm. we belong to the experience. Mm. And if you've experienced something that I experienced, we will relate. Mm-hmm. And I love this and I, be, and I believe in this. You know, I don't, I don't believe in nationalities anymore. I feel like nationalism has, has been promoted wrongly and it's just, a, mm. it's, 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 it's dull there, for they are, there, there are a lot of abuses. Sorry. Yeah. 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 Um, actually, I've, on a sort of like similar note, maybe I could ask you, what are your thoughts on, say, you know, events like um, a refugee sort of like poetry festival mm. where, you know, some detractors or mm. some critiques would often say that events like this tend to sort of like promote, for example, the idea that, a group of sort of like people who are considered as refugees mm. needed to sort of like perform their humanity in mm. front of others before mm. they're sort of like recognized as legitimate sort of like human beings yeah. that's worthy yeah. of one's yeah. sympathy. On the other hand, of course, these are very sort of like important sort of platforms that, you know, create certain sort of like space and highlight certain sort of like issues. Mm. Uh, uh, I, I mean, know, what, what are your thoughts as yeah. a performer, as a, as a poet? Uh, uh, thank you for the question. I think this is a very, very important question. And it's very tricky. It's really, for myself, I would say that I, without these events, I wouldn't have the opportunity to be hurt, honestly speaking. Mm -hmm. I had to find such events. When I came to Malaysia, I had to search for any literary events or, you know, Mm -hmm. cultural events just to be involved and just to be heard. Mm. And the first one I found was the Refugee Festival. And I went there and I performed there. Mm. And then people knew that there's this guy, da, 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 da. So many things happened after that. An event brought another and, and, and so on. But then after being there for a while and a year after another, I felt that every year the same event is repeated with the same audience, with the same people, because... The main purpose of these events is to raise awareness mm. in the Malaysian community and, you know, to try to educate mm-hmm. people about the crisis, to educate about why do we have refugees here? Who are these refugees? That are, there are many, many, you know, programs and levels of these festivals, mm-hmm. different types of, of events. Yes, that's right. But when you see that there are the same people every year, it's, it feels like it's a bit isolating. Okay. So... After a few events, I felt like I am more and more isolated now. And I just feel that it's not being done the right way. Okay. It should have been done maybe in a different way. Okay. So now I'm, I'm always advocating on using or, you know, having different kind of events where we have Malaysian and refugee 
voices. Okay. When we emerge this together, mm. when and we did this um, recently in Ilham Gallery. Okay. We had a very lovely event where we had Malaysian poets and we had poets from the refugee community, if we if we could say this, mm-hmm. but from different countries actually. Mm-hmm. So it's about poetry. Right. It's about the value of the literature in right. their work and it's shared. It's, it's not that I'm giving you a space or or you know I'm yeah. not giving you a mic just to you know say say something and we will you know upload for you. No, it's not. It's not this. It's mm-hmm. not that I'm seeking something from you. Mm-hmm. Uh, there is a value and we need to appreciate it. Mm, okay. So I think that the events are good in a way, mm-hmm. yet they can be really done in a in a different way also. Okay. Could you sort of also tell us then, uh, I, as I understand it, you have also been involved in this workshop, right, called KL Unrepresented, Unrepresented on set, yeah. from some level. Yeah. And that is in some ways requiring you to sort of like commit on a much more long-term collaborative sort of like process yeah. also with perhaps other Malaysians and to thinking about sort of like different narratives yeah. of how we can tell the story of True. like living in a city. What's that process like for you? Is that in some ways fulfilling mm. Mm. Much more sort of like fulfilling experience in yeah. order to sort of like build that kind of like bridges that we need to build. Of course. I mean, Unrepresented Gale was a very unique experience for me because I've worked closely with, with Malaysian writers and writers-to-be. And it was a long-term experience, actually, where I had to, you know, get involved or get really close to the, to the Malaysian issues. Mm. And I love this because I am, as a resident of KL, I love KL and I belong to KL now mm-hmm. um, to, to an extent that you cannot believe. And I sometimes I get annoyed by something or like a, a news <laughs> or like, you know, I, I feel like it's it's something that I, I'm living here and right. I have to, you know, react to, the, to whatever happening around mm-hmm. me. So there are certain issues and topics that we need to speak about. And I was so, you know, interested in talking about the Orang Asli. And when we visited in Unrepresented KL, we had this session where we had to visit a kampung of Orang Asli and then talk to them. And we've met a writer from from the kampung and we had such lovely conversations with him. And it was eye-opening for me. It was Mm -hmm. really enlightening for me. And... I feel like this is an unrepresented voice, mm-hmm. an unrepresented community. I didn't mm-hmm. want to be in unrepresented KL to talk about my community, mm-hmm. to be honest. I tried to write some uh, pieces about transgender people. I tried to write pieces about Orang Asli. I tried to write about a migrant worker in Malaysia or also a refugee. So I tried to write about those voices, mm-hmm. the unrepresented voices. And when I first got in that program, I, I wanted to talk about the homeless okay. uh, because there are many homeless people in, in KL. And KL is a city of homeless people mm. at night. Yeah. And it's, it's terrifying. Yeah. And those people need someone to talk about right. them. But are you speaking on their behalf or are you in some way? How do you, how do you see your sort of I don't like know. role as a poet? Here? I don't know if I, can, okay. if I can speak on behalf of someone, yeah. but I, I just feel the responsibility of talking about this kind of, of issues, right. either in, in, in a way that I say my opinion about the issue or, or sometimes I try to, you know, to put myself in their shoes and just imagine a situation mm-hmm. and write about. Mm-hmm. But so the idea of building solidarity. The narrative is always true. different. The narrative is always yeah. different. It's not that I, I have the narrative, but I can hear the voice and I, can, mm. I feel like I need to reflect it. Right. 
So in some ways, poetic anthropy is about this sort of like struggle to, in some ways, find beauty and meaning in in a city that is almost like, you know, dissolving into sort of like meaninglessness. Well, for me, (laughs) and I said that before, for me, KL is very, very poetic. It's really poetic. You just need to observe it. You just need to, it's uh, it's a city that it's a poet at night and uh, something else in the morning. Right. When was the first time or what's the experience that sort of gave you, what's the turning point for you? That the first time where something sort of like clicked and you realized I, that, wow, yeah, when I wrote, beauty in this When city. I wrote a poem called uh, Asia, and uh, that was in 2017, and uh, there was this very beautiful lady on the train and mm-hmm. I was... Uh, Nothing like falling in love. I, like, <laughs> I, for a few seconds, for, for two stations or more. And then I, I felt like I'm writing about her, but then I, I discovered that, I'm no, I'm not writing about that woman, I'm writing about KL. Mm. I'm writing about the beauty of KL that I encountered here. Mm-hmm. And that poem actually, um, yeah, maybe opened the, the beautiful side of, of KL to my eyes. Wow, cool. Is that poem published? It is in the book. It is in the book. Uh, Yeah. Do you want to read that to us? Or do you want to read something? Um, uh, We can can always read um, something from the book. It would be a nice way to sort of like, you know, uh, leave us with some poetic sort of like (laughs) thoughts and and let us linger on (laughs) what is so enchanting about this new country that we have called home. Okay, I'll read. A few verses of, of Asia. Asia. A satin dress and of lockets I count seven with an egoistic girl and a guy drunk on loving hands of silk, breasts of white wax and paste, cunning features and a full of details waste seven minutes it took me to be taken on a risky trip among the hidden gems under your satin dress just around the hip i keep going driven by mystery for my mesmerizing brunette who's gracefully asleep on the fence of memory dear asia the pearl of mother earth floating upon forests of green the embodiment of a lady's grace, hair short in length, of eyes the deepest I have ever seen, every morning a goddess of amazement, every night a poet pristine. I who came from a little river we call Berada, the ancients used to call it Paradius, though. In my heart I carry all its history and go surrendering to the war of the roses. I gather the petals of Damascus, droplets of dew hanging in the balance, glittering on the door of what you used to what used to be my home, a notebook made of memories. In the rotten kitchen that was buried under our dust, fungus as big as our separation, raving in the air, roaring after each and every bomb, and silence is beyond our noise. In front of all the people who have gone, you see longing on mother's empty arms. Oh, Asia, a traveler's path is forever exhausting. Please, Take my hand so I can rest. 
lay your gridlocks upon the notebook of our love and put the instincts in their nests. May you find your Asia. <laughs> uh, I also don't believe that I've actually never noticed how silent this room is, the yeah. recording studio is, until you have all your lovely sort of like intervening pauses. Oh, thank you. Yeah, that was a good yeah. one. Yeah, thank, thank you. you. Yeah. Any last thoughts, Mofa, before yeah. we wrap up? Um, yeah, I, I, I think... Something to cheer us on for the new year? Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, I don't know w- w- what to say. I, I'd like to thank you for inviting me. I think it was a, a lovely conversation. Uh, there's always a space to, you know, to have more translated poetry mm. and to celebrate translation and poetry mm. in, in different ways. Mm. So, yeah, I wish you a very happy new year. Thank you. Thank and you I wish much. you all the best for your excruciatingly difficult sort of like task of doing the work of translation, which I think is really one of the most urgent things we need to undertake today. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Yeah. And you just heard from Mafa Al-Hajjar. He's Jarmay Samansoon and we've been talking about translating poems. Uh, share your thoughts with us by tweeting us at BFM Radio. You can send us an email to nightschool at bfm.my. Don't forget to also download the BFM app, which you can get on the Apple App Store and Google Play. Thanks once again, Mafa and Simon. Thank you. Thank you. I'm Hanif Barudin and you've been listening to Night School on BFM 89.9, The Business Station. Thank you for listening to this podcast. To find more great interviews, go to bfm.my or find us on iTunes. BFM 89.9, The Business Station.